Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Hashing It Out. As always, I am your host, Dr. Corey Petty, with my trusty co-host, as always, Colin Couchet. Say what's up, everybody, Colin. What's up, everybody, Colin? And today's episode, we're talking to Akash.network, or Akash Network, and we have on the CEO, Greg Asuri. Um, Greg, the normal thing, tell us where you come from, how you got into the space, and then we'll just start talking about Akash Network. Sure. I... uh... Hi, everybody. Hi, Hash. Corey, Colin. Great to be here. I am a applied economist, a computer scientist, and a uh, visual storyteller. I uh, began my computer career uh, programming uh, since I was 12, for about 25 years. I cannot remember the time I did not program. And um, the um, origins of Akash, uh, I believe, goes back all the way uh, uh, to to the time I was a, I was a kid, and uh, and for me, uh, you know, growing up on a farm in India, affording a computer, uh, I learned how to program without using a computer, you know, using books, and uh, to get access to a computer, it's kind of a big deal. So um, so fast forward, what we're doing with Akash is making computing more more available to more people. So I think the journey really began there, but uh, but uh, to give you more specifics, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, my background, I uh, moved to San Francisco about 14 years. I began my career with uh, building data centers for, for IBM and and uh, uh, for big telcos and big farmers, and uh, you know decided uh, to move to the the high growing high 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 pace. Uh, environment in Silicon Valley about uh, 13 years ago uh, and started a company called AngelHack. Um, AngelHack was a hackathon-based accelerator. The idea was to bring to pe- bring people together uh, in a room, um, basically bring people together that are not very, very extroverted or very outgoing and uh, put them in a room for 36 hours, give them all the food and all the help you need, and uh, and see what comes out of it. So we kind of made this idea of a hackathon more mainstream. And by the time I left the company, uh, we had about one fifty thousand developers in the ecosystem, and in in about fifty cities around the world. And the the best uh, thing that I learned was to understand developers under duress, and I had incredible opportunity there to launch. Uh, Several companies uh, from hackathons, uh, and the biggest one would be Firebase. Uh, if you if you know what Firebase is, uh, Firebase is the Google's cloud service, and uh, 
it is what I consider to be one of the most loved developer tooling. Um, you know, if I had to put top 10, I think it'll, it'll clearly be out there. And tools like, tools like that, that really help people uh, to get things done in the least amount of time uh, is what I had experienced launching. And, um, and I uh, stumbled on top upon, uh, what, what I really realized was a big, big challenge is after you develop your code, what happens then? What happens from the time you have your code on your GitHub to the time it goes to your users? It turns out that very piece, which is called deployment, was extremely challenging. And uh, so this was around 2013. I decided to focus on that part of the development of software and stumble upon this technology called Linux containers. Um, very, very early in its phase. Um, and uh, found a lot of promise when it comes to solving the deployment problem and started focusing on it and uh, got myself involved uh, uh, into projects that just started uh, back then. Uh, Docker is, is, is a big one and Kubernetes. Um, uh, and, and, and really just, you know, uh, I was, I guess I happened to be in the right time, the right place. And, and, and I met a guy called Joe Vera who, uh, created Kubernetes, and once I, you know, saw this demo of this project right before the launch, I got, I decided to get involved much deeper. Uh, there's a lot of promise, and 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 that's how I started uh, working more seriously in the cloud automation space. And today, Kubernetes is used by 80% of the cloud. So that's where really how my journey began with making software much simpler to to deploy. Um, and uh, where we started. Uh, um, Akash Network, the company, uh, you know, uh, the, the team that started Akash Network comes from Overclock Labs. Our mission was to really take uh, commoditized compute to a level that it can be deployed at the edge at high high performance, essentially low latency. And what we discovered was uh, there is a ton of capacity sitting in data centers. About eighty five percent of the capacity sitting in four point eight million data centers. Is not used, and uh, and and surprisingly, there's this this new new sort of like industry that was just growing rapidly called the cloud service providers, primarily led by Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. Uh, that's gaining market share in in capitalizing or arbitraging access, uh, for lack of a better word. So, so there's this incredible capacity that's not being used, and there is this you know few companies that are capitalizing. On knowledge, uh, 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 and 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 we felt that that was fundamentally broken, and so we started experimenting uh, with unlocking the capacity by by creating a marketplace, and uh, uh, and when we wanted to design this market marketplace, we didn't want to design it in a way that is is going to uh, die after if in case we stop working on the project. So we come from a big open source background and we wanted to design the software in a manner that is peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. Uh, so that looks something like Git, you know, if you use Git, uh, Git nodes are essentially um, not centralized uh, and, and they have this like pull or push model. And we wanted to do something like Git with trustability features and that's how we, we ended up building our own blockchain. So the, the whole history really comes back to what, uh, is that, that we have this massive unused capacity. There's an opportunity for a marketplace there, there, 
And when we decided to do a marketplace, if you want to do it in a decentralized manner, in a peer-to-peer -peer manner, Git was a major inspiration. And if you had trustability to Git, blockchain happens. So that's really the journey of, of Akash Network. First question on that one. Um, you have this massive unused capacity. And, I, and I, I come from an HPC background. And even like scientific clusters have a good portion of um, their, their computation down in terms of like overall utilization. And I'd imagine these massive data centers, it's even more so because they're a lot more commoditized in terms of the hardware being used. What, what's the problem? What, what, why is it underutilized? Is it lack of access? Is it affordability? Is it there's not enough people who need to run jobs and people built data centers that are too large? What is it? So I think it comes down to two core problems. Right? The first problem is um, uh, deploying for peak. So if you are a compute uh, provider, say you're Walmart or say you are TurboTax, for example, right? TurboTax, during their tax season, their utilization is somewhere around 97%, I think the real numbers are. And when they are uh, during the non-tax season, which is nine months of the year, uh, their utilization is like 3%. But you still need that capacity for three months of the year, right? And uh, so the peak planning is the number one cause for uh, unused capacity. And the second big cause of unused capacity is suboptimal uh, distribution of workloads. So um, if you hear this term, uh, you know, SQL servers or database servers or, or app servers, what that really means is they're dedicating this entire machine <clears throat> for one function. So they usually uh, run these machines as a very homogenous matter in homogenous architectures. So that causes uh, significant you know, uh, inefficiency when it comes to dis distribution of workloads. So if we can uh, somehow really capitalize on unused capacity and somehow capitalize on distribution of jobs or workloads, then scheduling them in a manner that uh, that's driven by a, the performance envelope, uh, you can solve the efficiency problems. So <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, peak planning and inefficient usage or or inefficient architectures for uh, for scheduling. So your your I guess audience or your I guess desired um, people to provide this compute resource is not going to be the big box people who already have cloud services. It's going to be because they have containerization and. A kind of um, they cost out even in your your recent white paper you kind of figure out how they cost out the and price their services. It's people who who have planned for this um, certain amount of hardware infrastructure and they have it but don't utilize it but a certain part of the year so that they can provide the same resources for a much smaller amount. Is that is that about right or or, or is it broader than that? Uh, so if you're asking who provides yeah. compute on Akash Network. So that it's a wide, wide, wide range, right? So all the way from home deployments uh, um, uh, to Raspberry Pis to you know mega data centers to even cloud providers, and uh, <clears throat> um, you know it, it it's 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 incredible. Some of the tier two providers that that we've been talking to. Uh, still have massive underutilized problems. Every time there's a physical box somewhere, 
that uh, is underutilized, no matter what, right? So it's a really a wide wide range of uh, people that are using. So big, well, our biggest providers uh, so far we saw on the on the test net are machine learning companies uh, that deployed hardware in their facilities on site, and these companies use them maybe one or two you know times a year, uh, times a times a day, maybe a couple hours, and and most of the time they're not using it, and they want to you know, recapitalize or recover some of the capital because some of this hardware is very, very expensive. Right. Um, uh, to, you know, I have Super Mini right right behind me, which is uh, my home computer, which I barely use, but that's going to be on the, on the network. So who do you see the end user being, though? I think that's what Corey might have been getting at. Is no, that, no, that at wasn't the end of the day, like, who's building... Oh, really? Okay, sorry. <laughs> I must have misunderstood then. I am misunderstood. I apologize. But who do you see consuming these resources... Uh, what do you see their user experience being? So what kind of availability guarantees do they have? Um, you know, there's obviously no, it doesn't seem like there's one one-on-one service level, uh, you know, agreement. agreement. So how do you, uh, you know, who do you see the target audience for using this unused compute power is, um, you know? Right. So our biggest uh, demand comes, comes from machine learning and data intensive workload uh, vertical because uh, the cost uh, for these to run these jobs are exponentially increasing because the size of data we're processing is is growing especially if you're a, a, a deep learning or machine learning company so some of our biggest uh, users today uh, spend about 12 million dollars on a cloud and some of our smaller size uh, users spend about five hundred thousand dollars on the cloud so these are large scale data intensive applications and 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 run by growth stage companies uh, that are extremely sensitive to cost. So any cost advantage uh, we provide them is extremely attractive. Uh, using our cautious model, the cost advantage you know is is about uh, four to five times lower than the current cloud. So uh, that's an extremely attractive incentive for, for machine learning companies to, to use. And from a user experience standpoint, um, I believe Akash command line is perhaps the best command line experience uh, when it comes to deploying period, not cloud or not blockchain. And the reason for that uh, really, you know, if you look at my background, uh, most of my work I did, uh, any library that I have over, that I have over a thousand stars, were about making, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, uh, developer experience on distributed systems more delightful. So, so uh, my background with making command line interfaces and designing developer interfaces, when combined with with, with cloud deployment, uh, we ended up creating an incredibly usable tool. Uh, and, and I believe uh, one of our partners. Uh, uh, but taking the survey about, they surveyed about 100 developers and when they asked them what, what tool in blockchain uh, crypto do you think has a most, uh, the best developer experience and I think 40, 40 people said Akash. So that's that's really a testament. That's uh, really awesome. To, yeah. to, to, our, to our experience and we do have a wall of love. If you go to akash.network slash love, you'll see pe what people talk about their experiences uh, when it comes to deploying on, on, on Akash. So it's extremely productive interfaces uh, and very delightful interfaces we designed. From an SLA guarantee standpoint, 
uh, this is a decentralized cloud, so there are no guarantees, right? There are no contracts. And um, although we do have mechanisms for top fault tolerance, uh, and really the design for the for the systems goes back to designing for hyperscale. When you design for hyperscale, you do not assume uh, trust or you do not assume performance at the edge. So you design systems in a way that are that uh, they're highly versatile and highly highly uh, interoperable and flexible. So uh, we design the the containerization technology that we've been working on is designed in a manner that you can switch over um, uh, from machine to machine in case of a node failure in a manner that's, that's fault tolerant, but also in a manner that you do not lose a session, right? So as, as someone experiencing a fault tolerant event, will have no idea that you know there's a node switch over while using Akash. So, so, uh, so uh, you know, Akash is a hyperscale, uh, architecture design in a way very similar to how Google or, or most of the hyperscale architectures are deployed um, in a way not to disrupt the actual end user experience uh, while doing a fault tolerant event. On top of that, I'm curious, um, for people who have these larger jobs that require a lot of resources, um, are those, does that mean they require um, specific subsets of the network that are all basically located in the physical location? Like it all needs to be in the same data center? Can, can those types of things be distributed across um, whatever devices that are capable of running things? And if so, how do you, how does that like network latency come into play? Cause like I, my, my background's in, in scientific computing. So it's most of the times you had right. to use clusters <clears throat> that had um, very fast interconnects. But uh, I'm curious on like, there's no way you can provide that type of service in a distributed network. So the jobs you're going to be doing are things like machine learning, but even those sometimes based on the size of the job need to be in the same physical location. Is there a way you can handle that? I know that's what like Golem had troubles with in the past in terms of this kind of blockchain compute model. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, local uh, residency versus uh, remote residency, right? So yeah. the, the, um, <clears throat> It really comes down. Turns out, when we did, when we, you know, we're doing a lot more research you know, with the users, it really comes down to price performance. So when you have a price performance metric uh, where the cost is insignificant, latency becomes insignificant as well. And if you really categorize the kind of workloads um, at a very very high level, there are two types of workloads: there's latency sensitive workloads and there's batch optimal workloads, right? So when you do batch optimality, uh, uh, residency, even though uh, it, it it looks like you do re you, you do require, but the requirement really is driven by cost. So um, our thesis is that the cost is exponentially lower, about like eight times to nine times lower. A latency becomes less important for batch optimal workloads. Now latency mm -hmm. becomes extremely important when you have uh, uh, you know, long running jobs, which is essentially that need to respond to a user event uh, within 100 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what Akash provides is an extremely uh, uh, flexible deployment architecture where you can choose the node that you want to deploy, right? So when you have a job that requires local residency, local clusters, 
you can choose to deploy in a cluster that meets X amount of node capacity, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, only then deploy the job on that cluster. If not, don't. So what Akash does really is uh, open up the market to this these massive clusters, to small little deployments all over the world and gives the sovereignty to the user to choose what they want. And of course, uh, uh, the, the multi-cloud architecture in Akash uh, also means that cloud companies plug into Akash directly, which they're doing right now. Uh, we have some of the tier two providers plugging into to Akash that have a lot of local cluster availability. So uh, what Akash provides is this extremely flexible model where in case you want to choose a local resident cluster with with you know minimum load requirement, you can choose to do that. And once that job is complete, you can choose to switch over to a more uh, cost optimal uh, uh, deployment structures. So um, it's not limiting, but rather additive on top of the existing infrastructure. Another, if you look at Akash from another lens, uh, you can look at it as a multi-cloud deployment platform as well, uh, using the big clouds, yeah. right? So uh, it, it's really a, a, a technology that uh, uh, you know is is designed to more workloads. Uh, in a in a performance and a cost envelope defined by the user, uh, and and we provide this extremely uh, simple to use uh, uh, contract language called SDL or Stack Definition Language that lets you orchestrate workloads, um, uh, you know, simple cloud functions to very <laughs> advanced deep learning, you know, multi-regional, multi-zonal clusters all over the world uh, in one single file. I got. This, it seems as though the way you built it um, gets around or fixes some of the issues that I think the earlier distributed blockchain compute platforms are having and that you had like, how do you prove um, a job was performed appropriately? You're not, you're not necessarily creating a marketplace for jobs where you set off a job and get an answer back. You're, you're, you're creating a marketplace for the resources themselves that you can then, so- and, and the containers, I guess, associated with it. Right. So verification um, in compute is an extremely hard problem, mm-hmm. especially when you're doing general purpose compute, right? So mm-hmm. verification is possible when you have access to the language uh, or, or the framework where you can plug in. Uh, but when you're doing general purpose compute, it's it's next to impossible, almost impractical. So instead of taking a verification model, we took a uh, web of trust model. Like today, when you deploy a workload on Amazon or or, or Google, you just you know assume that they're telling the truth and they're going to be honest with you. There's no guarantee that they you know they're going to provide the, you the workloads that they said they're going to provide. So we emulated that that kind of pattern, but we went one step further on uh, making sure that we can create a system uh, that is flexible in terms of uh, you know, uh, arbitrating trust, right? So uh, a web of trust model was was a lot more optimal than a verification model. And uh, and when you have dishonest nodes, the, the reputation of a dishonest node uh, should give information um, enough to the user to make a decision whether to deploy on that dishonest node or not. Um, and uh, so we don't sort of like, the, the protocol does not uh, limit you in terms of uh, you choosing on what node you want to deploy, 
uh, based on honesty or dishonesty. It's really like pushing sovereignty to the user and let the user decide kind of deal. Okay. Colin, I know you had a few questions in terms of like um, uh, hardware. Yeah, um, I, I noticed, well, I, I did notice on your, your uh, you know, uh, landing page of your website, you listed SGX under your stack in one of the graphics. Mm -hmm. Kind of curious if you're actually using SGX yet or if it's something on, in your pipeline. And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, so we are using SGX. Uh, we uh, this is a demo from one of our partners that you know did an amazing demo where they would deploy something on Amazon and and that doesn't have SGX and dump your keys and literally as a as a, a noisy neighbor problem we call it right and, and deploying with an SGX runtime on top of that uh, completely uh, you know giving you this super amazing enclave that's impossible. So it turns out Amazon doesn't provide SGX yet. I mean I don't know if they're going to. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it works, uh, it works in a, uh, uh, you know, it, it does require a certain level of expertise from a user standpoint to understand how to use SGX, uh, but, uh, it works. But the only limitation or like, it's a trade-off between security and performance. So when you have like <clears throat> hyper performing systems, if you're going to encrypt all your, you know, everything in it, especially your runtime is going to perform very slowly. And you need to understand those trade-offs as a developer to use the SGX feature. And um, uh, since Akash is a, a diverse marketplace with any type of compute, um, uh, so SGX or you know, trust zones or you know, uh, the processor equivalent secure enclaves is really dependent on the, on the compute. And uh, if you go to Akash right now, if you, you know, query for providers, you'll, you'll know what providers have SGX and what providers don't. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, SGX is a primitive on Akash. Yeah, where would I, so I'm actually curious of like digging through what you're kind of doing there in the source. Are, have you released that, that yet? Is that a, did I miss it? Where, where, uh, where could I take a look at some of that? It's, <clears throat> yeah, it's available right now. You can go use it, SGX, uh, but, you got to bring your own runtime, so it's up to you. Oh, I see, I see. So you can literally, I got you. Okay, so you can literally, okay, got it. Okay, so if somebody brings around SGX runtime, you can deploy it using the Akash network, and then the, 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 the individual nodes themselves will lend their SGX so that they can actually do the signing right. and stuff like that securely for you. Uh, okay, I got it, cool. So runtime is very, uh, I mean, you have few runtimes. We, would, we recommend Anjana's runtime. They're amazing um, you know, company, uh, that's what they do. Uh, I believe uh, some of our friends are working on their own runtimes. Um, MobileCoin uh, is working on a runtime. Last I heard, uh, there are lots of lots of runtimes that are being developed uh, that have different, you know, attestation and different mechanisms on how to use SGX. Uh, we haven't seen um, any major open source implementation for SGX yet. So I think the technology is like still. Uh, early and under development, uh, but that's I'm pretty certain that's going to change in like the next year. I think so too. So yeah, no, that's really interesting. And so, um, what uh, what kind of uh, incentivization model does Akash Network have? Like you, like uh, Overclock Labs have for putting this together. Like, how are you tied to this network? Are you minting coins? Like, how how are you guys actually making money off of this? How do we make money? Yeah. Billion dollar question. <laughs> How does any open source company make money? Um, we we don't make money from Akash Network uh, per se. 
but we make money if our cash network succeeds. So our current model uh, is to sell hardware to support this ecosystem. And uh, we are doing that using super mini. And our second uh, business model is to provide managed services for large providers that uh, uh, are large customers that want to deploy without touching the command line when we do it for them. And uh, we created uh, Overclock Labs when we began. I mean, the company, uh, our, our, our thesis was we want to unlock the edge by creating a software that makes edge deployment as easy as uh, you know a single deployment in Heroku, right? And uh, <clears throat> and uh, so we you know and, and we needed this network in order to succeed uh, with our with our original business. Now now the network is is deployed and and as the network grows, uh, we expect to see uh, a lot more uh, usage of the services, especially from a from a managed services standpoint. Um, so it's a very interesting. <clears throat> I believe it's a very interesting model that that uh, in uh, that a lot of us are experimenting when it comes to open source software. So so far, the business models for open source software have been primarily subscription driven and open core uh, driven. Mm -hmm. But now we are experiencing the third business model, which is tokenized open source software. We call it where it has this incredible incentive layer, the token layer, on top of the open source. Uh, you know, uh, platform where the the data as well. I mean, source source code as well as the data is open source. So how do you monetize? I think a lot of us are, are still trying to figure that out. To be honest with you, and, and our our solution is selling hardware. Yeah, that's definitely. Um, I don't think anyone's figured that out yet, but I think there's quite a bit of potential there coming from um, working for a company trying to do something similar in terms of a. a, a token open source project I'm, I'm now i think now's a great time to even get into the economics of the network because how you lay out the incentives um and the key players of the network and how that token flows across that so what the life cycle of the tokens are um will say a lot about your potential to succeed because if that like equilibrium isn't appropriate then it can never really scale to maybe the performance of what the network could be right Right. Um, right. So our thesis on this whole decentralized and this whole token economy really uh, began with uh, a paper I published uh, called Bootstrapping a Free Market by Borrowing from the Future. So essentially, my thesis was in a two-sided marketplace, uh, the, the first challenge the market has to solve is the demand supply paradox. What comes first? Right. And uh, uh, the market has to solve this problem in order to create equilibrium uh, uh, between demand and supply so that the, the, the market can, can, can unlock the network effects, which is, which is what drives the growth of the market. And the question now is, how do, we, how do you do that? So our thesis was, when you bootstrap supply to a point that uh, it's extremely attractive uh, to the to the demand. So let's say cost, for example, uh, the the demand side will, will catch up. So and we can you know reduce the cost by subsidizing supply. So we created a model where um, uh, 
as a supplier, that means as someone that has have compute, essentially have zero risk to to dedicate the compute to network, and the risk is mitigated through a subsidy the network provides. So, and uh, uh, and and incentivizes the providers to reduce costs, keep keep costs as low as possible, right? So. Um, Really, you're borrowing from the future to bootstrap the, the the present, and really, what you're doing is you're creating an effects of liquidity on uh, on on a agreeable price point. What the inflation is going to be like? So the paper I wrote really addresses how do we how do we uh, create inflation in a manner that is acceptable from a price point? What does the price point look like, right? And one of the things we did uh, when it comes to proof of stake, I mean, the, the, the system uses a proof of stake uh, mechanism uh, when it comes to consensus. And the token here is used to provide economic security to the blockchain. And what's interesting with, with this token, um, uh, when it comes to proof of stake systems or when it comes to inflationary systems is uh, uh, the, the rewards are, <clears throat> are essentially dependent or driven by the amount of stake, but as well as the time you stake, right? So, so that creates a uh, much better price performance uh, when it comes to to token price. Or in a, in a bull market, in a bear market, we expect people to lock up tokens for a much shorter period. Whereas in a bull market, we expect people to lock up tokens for a longer period, which translates to the amount of inflation rate. So, in a bull market, the inflation is going to be higher. And uh, and because there's less price pressure, uh, we assume that's going to be okay. But in a bear market, when you have a lot of price pressure, the uh, token lockups or the inflation is going to be a lot lower. So the the token model is designed to be adaptive when it comes to uh, when it comes to performance uh, from a market standpoint, and uh, from a Token uh, capitalization uh, flow structure, where the, where the capital comes in and the capital goes out, uh, the capital comes in really from the from the user uh, using the net network, and that gets distributed to the providers and to the stakers and a whole lot of uh, stakeholders in the in the ecosystem. And uh, the uh, um, uh, in, in and I believe the 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 uh, the inflationary rewards are designed to first of all uh, create incentives for providers, but also create incentives for for the stakers to provide economic security to the chain, right? So um, that's at a very very high level. And, and the token is is by the way is very important thing. The token is really uh, functions on the background. It doesn't mandate you to use the token in order to use the network. And Akash supports a uh, multi-currency settlement mechanism, where you can settle using Bitcoin or, or any, any or USTC. Uh, we assume a lot of, lot of folks uh, are, uh, you, know, you know, getting to the stable stable uh, coin, going to stable coin uh, uh, mm -hmm. utilization. So Akash supports a, a a wide range of tokens for settlement. Uh, and of course, there are a lot of benefits of using an Akash token when it comes to cost and, and other things, but but uh, by, by providing a multi-currency settlement mechanism, we believe solves quite a bit of problems. And it's also very, very important for us because the Akash network, uh, you know, being a cloud uh, infrastructure is, is 
you know, as you know, in a cloud system, the solution comes from from various different systems working together, right? So, so for example, you have New Cipher, which does key management, mm -hmm. or Storage, which does archival uh, storage, or Helium, which does you know long range uh, Wi-Fi networking, and there are tons of incredible projects right now in in in, in the in the cloud ecosystem that perform critical functions uh, that you require as a solution developer to to interoperate with. So so with Akash, you can literally pay using any token and use all these services without having to hold the tokens um, and uh, have that level of flexibility and that level of comfort, uh, which we believe is super important for, for driving adoption for uh, for decentralized cloud, which is which is a huge problem today because you cannot interoperate or you cannot automate in a, in a decent manner. How do you, how do you price a specific um, unit of compute, um, especially when it, and, and does the, I guess, variation of price of the token itself come into play with that? So it's a very challenging problem. We don't price the compute. It, Akash uses a reverse auction uh, model where the providers and the, and the payers, the tenants, uh, price the compute using an auction because you know, every attempt to price compute has ended up in utter failure, EOS being, I think, a big example on how they try to price RAM or commoditize RAM. Mm-hmm. Every time you commoditize something, turns out, you know, it's a classical game theoretical problem, right? You have the, uh, you know, the Nash equilibrium problem, we call it, in game theory. Every time when you create uh, a commodity, uh, there's always going to be room for people to cheat, right? Provide you uh, this same commodity that, that's of lesser quality. So. Compute is very, very hard to commoditize. So instead of trying to commoditize, let's create a free market that's driven by auction. That, that's been our thesis. And uh, because I don't know how many variable, how many types of RAM do you have, or how many types of like clock speed for CPU is extremely mm -hmm. variable, right? So there's a lot of variability when it comes to what kind of devices are you going to be using. So it's like diamonds, and it's not like gold. Okay, great. Speaking that's... of which, how do you prove? the commodity that's being supplied is equal to the quantity. So like, I, I know that proving that a computer executed a program, uh, you know, uh, to the, you know, in good faith is something you can't do, but I, I'm not really sure. Did you speak to this about how do you do make any attempts to make sure that the person who is putting their compute resources up for auction or actually have those resources available? Like if they say you they can. have it's, four it's, GPUs, yeah. can you verify that that's that's actually the case? And how do you do that? So there are it, answer your question. You can't, and it's not practical, right? There are mechanisms you can deploy to prove, but if you have to, if the user have to prove every time they provide something that they're telling the truth, it's just not going to happen. So uh, you know the best possible proof that you have is like an asymmetric memory hard function. If you want to test memory, right? Um, which is like an encryption hack where to essentially yeah. run a job uh, so that that requires X amount of memory, if it meets or not. So what we do is we provide a, instead of proving, we provide a trust-based model, right? So if I say that this provider is legit and I'm someone with a high reputation, by association, this provider has a reputation, like just like PGP, essentially. So, um, 
and if this provider is lying somehow and i you know run a challenge on this provider and the provider you know we prove that provider is lying i take my trust points out and more people are, more number of people running these challenges on these providers are continuously distrusting that means you as a user should probably distrust the provider so really a reputation style mechanism very similar to how proof of stake works you know yeah, but there's no incentives involved um, in terms of like proving that someone doesn't have a specific resource doesn't win net anybody any money. Can you prove it? You can't even prove that they don't. So here's the problem I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. I'm a provider, okay? I provide a particular type of resource. Let's just say I happen to have um, a, a buttload of SGX enabled systems for some reason, and I know that there's a sudden spike in demand for SGX for whatever reason. Okay, cool. That's I'm picking on SGX. It could be graphics cards. I don't care. Sure. Um, and uh, and like I notice a competitor pops up, so what do I do? I go ahead and I submit some uh, under my other accounts, my you know my fake account, um, and I submit a bunch of requests, and then I say, nope, you didn't do it right, ding in your trust node. Nope, you didn't do it right, ding in your trust node, and then I knock out my competitor. Um, what's stopping this kind of scenario from happening? So that's why reputation is super important. So if you are a node that has very low reputation and you're not knocking out your competitor, then uh, you know your your knocking out doesn't really matter, right? But if you are someone with high reputation that's knocking out, that means there's some weight to it, right? And well, if I kind of look at it, this is, oh, sorry to interrupt. Are, I think I'm just yeah. inter there's a disconnect here because I'm not understanding what the word node means, um, and I'm very sorry to interrupt, but the, the when you said node, I think I think you know a compute node. I think somebody as a provider. So I think if there's there's two there's providers and there's consumers. You know, there's producers and there's consumers. There's people consuming compute power and there's pe people producing compute power. The people producing compute power need a trust mechanism to rate that they are actually giving providing the correct availability and the correct compute power and the memory and all that stuff that they need to actually like get, take care of the job. All you care about is the job gets done right and it gets done right. done in good faith. And then there's a the consumer side. Um, but I don't see a trust model necessary for them. And there's no way to actually verify that they're doing the trust model correctly. Does, do you see what I'm saying? So like they don't, so if, if I'm a producer, I produce, or I'm a, I'm a provider, I, I, provide, um, I provide my compute power and I see a competitor who's also providing compute power. I could have a, I could easily have a myriad of um, consumer who have actually used, used the service every so often just dumping my money back into myself kind of thing um, or used other services just for whatever reason. They have a small reputation or history on them and then they dump a job onto my competitor and say, no, you didn't. No, you didn't do the job right. This is wrong. What do you, how do you detect right. those kind of things? Yeah, so we're talking about a civil problem, right? So you're essentially, every time you deploy something, there's a cost. There is a uh, cost that goes directly to the provider, and there's a portion, a take fee, you call it, that goes to validators. And I think about 20% take fee right now. So your cost of just sort of like reducing your uh, uh, competitor's uh, reputation gets increasingly higher the more number of jobs you do. So essentially, uh, there is in today in the on the cloud today, right? So you have Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. So three companies essentially uh, providing compute. Now, yeah, as a user, what I would do is I would run 
uh, a benchmark on Amazon and Google and Microsoft, right? And based on the based on the benchmark, I establish my own reputation gauge, and I'll be like, okay, you know, Amazon, the same instance, uh, uh, you know, same configuration, Amazon just performed better. I'm not going to use Google. Now imagine me taking my reputation gauge and putting that online, so other users can uh, see my data, what what I experienced, right? Now it's up to the user to make the decision whether they want to deploy on Google or Microsoft or Google or Amazon and run their own benchmarks or just trust me uh, that I'm telling the truth and go with my data, right? So that's really the model that we took with, with Akash. So there's no, the reputation uh, we're providing does not uh, limit uh, uh, scheduling to the job, but it gives you enough information to the tenant that, that uh, is deploying the job to make a decision themselves on whether they want to deploy a job or not. Like, so in case of a Sybil, uh, where provider uh, you know, A is trying to discredit provider B, uh, and I'm a tenant, and I, uh, you know, it's up to me whether I want to take that uh, reputation and run with it, or it's up to me whether I, I can run these jobs and have my own reputation. Uh, to challenge the reputation uh, given by a civil the provider A created. So uh, that's really why uh, I said we have a web of trust model. It's a trust-based system. It's not a uh, you know, uh, permissionless, verifiable system that's going to limit your job deployment uh, based on some factor. So, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. So I misunderstood that. that. I thought you were adding, uh, ascribing a, a trust, a point system to particular nodes, but you're actually just having people report feedback like Yelp. Correct. So like reviews, essentially. All right. I got a few questions from here. Um, we can start to kind of, kind of start to wrap up here. What the hell is a uh, is is the super mini, and why do I need one? Uh, so super mini is our. Huh, is a home appliance that um, is essentially a mini supercomputer. And uh, it is, I think, as powerful as a Cray 70, which which is the most, the fastest supercomputer in 2000s is more powerful than that. And uh, it, uh, from a, if you're a, if you're a user, in simple terms, it makes you more money that you spent purchasing the device in the first year. So the ROI is expected to be somewhere around 110% in the first year. Uh, and um, and uh, the, the cool thing about Super, Super Mini from a, from a use case standpoint is um, it uh, gives you a mechanism to bring the cloud to your house, right? And it has an app store model that lets you deploy your favorite decentralized applications. Now we have ETH2 support, a lot of proof of stake chains uh, that you can run from the comfort of your couch at uh, significantly lower cost than what you would otherwise pay on the cloud or, or deployment today. And uh, some of the cool applications we are, we're we launching Super Mini with is, is Orchid, the VPN uh, you know, node, and uh, Sentinel, this another incredible VPN server. So you can run a VPN node directly from your house and totally skip the Skip the big, uh, you know, big cloud, and uh, and also uh, another cool application that we're seeing with Super Mini is 
providing an inference layer to this uh, long fine network that Helium uh, has created. Uh, for those of you that don't know what Helium is, uh, Helium is is is, is a beautiful, uh, you know, uh, project that introduces a hotspot, a long range hotspot with about ten mile radius. And I have one sitting in my house. Uh, so what this hotspot does is is create sort of a mesh network for low powered IoT devices to directly connect uh, uh, over wirelessly uh, using this. Uh, you know, uh, Essentially, to to this hotspot and and uh, and uh, Super Mini when it's connected to a to a helium device provides an inference layer because a lot of these devices are super low powered and they're designed to be um, um, they're designed to just like do the sensing and acting and they don't have the kind of uh, intelligence baked in at the edge to do any meaningful inference. Mm-hmm. So the inference layer uh, is what the Akash Supermini solves for. So imagine now you're essentially creating a edge infrastructure that skips the big telcos and the big clouds altogether. So uh, that significantly reduces the the cost deploy, cost uh, envelope uh, when it comes to deploying these uh, edge IoT devices. That's just one of the one of the super cool use cases for Supermini. So uh, depending on like what angle you want to look at, if you're a hardware hacker, um, you want a super mini at home because this is your app store, essentially, uh, for your house. And uh, it's extremely modular. You can literally plug out and plug in different boards that, that we'll be releasing. Uh, or if you're someone that cares about sovereignty and, and, and privacy, uh, you know, having super minis at home gives you this, this opportunity to control your own data and have the data uh, where you want to deploy. So uh, uh, I don't know if you saw our docs, but we, we, we have this uh, this deployment guide to deploy a matrix chat server. Mm-hmm. So imagine having super minis you know, in your house, in my house, and we both running matrix on it, and we can connect uh, directly in a peer-to-peer manner and have voice over IP, fully secure communications into an encrypted that skips the cloud altogether. Right, so there are a lot of like uh, a lot of like interesting use cases that we are unlocking um, with Super Mini that focuses on sovereignty, um, both over computer and data, and uh, it, and in doing so, you're contributing or you're building the next next uh, uh, layer of the web, the the Web three for the uh, for the edge, right? So um, yeah, that's uh, really really what uh, Super Mini in the box looks like. I'd actually really like to get my hands on one of those. How do I do that? We are shipping 15 of these devices in five weeks. Uh, if you want to get one of these devices, you can go to akash.network slash supermini slash reserve uh, and put your name on it. Uh, the first 15 we're shipping is to do a field test. Um, and uh, in order to qualify uh, for these these boxes, you need to have some level of link skills. And so we, we really, uh, our, our goal with the initial shipment is to get that feedback and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, work with you and see how it's gonna function in the field. And we're shipping about 100 of these devices in May. Um, so, and, in a, and, and, and more so in the, in the coming months. So we're doing a phased release. release and. Uh, yeah, uh, 
yeah, really get, get in touch and uh, we'll figure out how to ship you one. Great. The next question is um, just to kind of, that's just something that I, I'm just kind of curious at this point. I have a, like, I'm, a, I'm one of those weird people that just has random computing resources sitting in their house, not doing anything. I have a, a, like a 16 core compute node waiting to do something. What's the process of mm-hmm. me signing up and getting it on the Akash network and what can I expect from that process? If you, if the process is extremely simple. And uh, if you go to docs.akash.network, there's a guide on how to um, become a provider uh, on the network. <clears throat> and what our users tell from the Twitters, if you go to akash.network slash love, you'll see a lot of the feedback on Twitter as to what their experience is like deploying. And almost all of them uh, uh, found deploying uh, or, or unlocking uh, your your compute uh, that you have at home way simpler than you can deploy on the cloud. So it's a really simple uh, uh, way to do it. And we kind of created tons of tooling around uh, being a provider and operating at efficiency. So we have a a tool called DISCO. DISCO stands for Decentralized Infrastructure for Serverless Computing Operations. It's essentially a framework uh, for providers to manage your nodes. So it gives you um, amazing tooling all the way from Kubernetes to you know, observability tooling, uh, like Grafana and Prometheus and all kinds of tools you need to like, like, like maintain your, uh, your computer and, and be informed when, when things happen. Um, and in that process, uh, you, know, you, can, you can install the Akash provider node on, on, the, uh, on, on, your, on your machine and, and just you know, yeah, just unlock it as, as simple as simple as that. Great. Uh, uh, first off, I want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you were a recommendation from one of our um, fans of the network, Ken from CypherCore. He, he said he'd like to hear from y'all and recommended we look into it. And I'm, I'm glad we did. Yeah, yeah, I love Ken. Uh, Ken is a, uh, we met Ken, I believe, uh, um, through the Twitters. Uh, and he's one of the providers uh, on Akash Network. And uh, he did exactly what uh, you wanted. Uh, you asked me earlier, like how easy it is to get on Akash Network. And once he experienced the software, it was obvious uh, that uh, this is something he he wants to spend his time on. And I, I believe that's how we got introduced. All right. Well, uh, thanks cool. for coming on the show. Actually, Colin, go ahead. Is Sorry. there a, I, I kind of one more thing? Like, has there any been like user stories that have really like come out of that that are just compelling that you think might? But like somebody actually used this system to do this cool scientific operation, for instance. Like, what what kind of uh, experiences are people having so far besides you know uh, lending their resources, but actually consuming the resources? Is there anything on that end yet? Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, tons of them. Um, again, like a kind of nervous slash love that really describes user experiences. I think my favorite one would be um, Alex Ellis. Uh, who created OpenFast. And OpenFast uh, is the most widely adopted uh, function as a service uh, platform. And uh, his cool story was he created this this cloud load balancer. I I think that's how you describe it. It's called Inlets. What it does is it uh, exposes an IP address from your house um, using a load, a load balancer sitting somewhere on the cloud 
and uh, and so that you can you can share your uh, you know your service sitting inside a NAT inside your house, right? And he did that using Akash, uh, and his experience was like he was blown away because now you know all of a sudden he has this new use case of just exposing your local compute to the to the to the to the globe, right? And that was fairly hard to do without Akash. Uh, and because of the, I guess the permissionless nature of it, and 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 uh, and the extreme programmability that permissionless mechanism provides, made it so that he can bake this, like uh, you know, decentralized load balancer model, like I think we call it now, um, into his core software. Uh, and uh, next thing I know, he's starting. He's just running all kinds of things, all kinds of like machine learning inferences. Um, he sent me a picture that colorized my photograph from like a real black and white picture. So all kinds of cool things people are doing. And and, and the most exciting thing uh, that, that people are really excited about is the privacy uh, protection, privacy guarantees, um, running matrix servers, right? So we, we ran a challenge where we wanted people to, um, to get their own matrix domain. Uh, if you go to if you use Riot or Matrix, when you sign up, you're usually uh, the username is like you know Greg at geosuri.org. Yeah. So instead of that, get your own name, right? Um, and uh, create enough nodes in Matrix where you're communicating uh, privately one Matrix server to another uh, in a in a peer to peer manner. So that is like that's an incredible. Uh, uh, we, we got a lot. Of, Exciting excitement from 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 the public for that kind of deployment, right? So, um, so a lot of people that are excited about Akash are machine learning and 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 privacy, um, you know, uh, seeking folks. Awesome! I actually like the fact that people are incentivizing or coming up with new ways to to build around matrix servers. I'm, I like that project a lot, and and connected with them through the work that I do. Yeah, yeah. So because like I don't know if you know, but sixty percent of Ethereum nodes are running on on AWS right now, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, that's that's one of the reasons why we wanted to fix them. And the, the big goal for Disco is like, well, we are um, we're giving up, you know, progress for convenience, and uh, of course AWS and Google are very convenient to deploy your workloads and we're giving up convenience because we don't have the capabilities in a decentralized manner. One of the big reasons we started Disco was to solve that problem. And you know, in that journey, we ended up creating a node uh, that you can deploy in your house, extremely convenient, extremely cost-effective, more so than, than the cloud, in a hope that we can uh, decentralize the supposedly decentralized world today. So uh, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, how decentralized your network is. Really comes down to your physical deployment. If you're running on a, in, on on Amazon, um, that I don't consider that decentralized at all. Especially when the majority of your network is running on a single cloud provider. I would I would so, absolutely agree with that. <laughs> and, uh, and the best part is no one is using SGX. So in, in case of an adversary wants to take over. Ethereum network, they can just simply dump the keys that has physical access. I'm not saying that Jeff Bezos is going to do, or our our our, our, our current uh, administration is going to have any intention to shut down 
Ethereum. But if they intend to do so, it's it can be done done in a matter of minutes, uh, right? So you don't have the problem at Akash because even though you have physical access, SGX is going to make sure that 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 that's impossible. Right so, on. So where do people go to? You've said it a few times, but just to recap at the very end of the episode, where do people go to learn more and get a hold of you guys? Uh, Akash Network is where you find us. Uh, we're very active in our chat, right? Chat. If you go to akash.network slash chat, but if you want to get started, uh, docs.akash.network is your best place. And uh, people really uh, like our docs, and we work very hard at it. And you can, you know, getting started link there. Uh, you know, start using it. The best way to learn about Akash is to use it. And uh, once you use it, everybody that, that uses it has their own description of what Akash is. That's always exciting for me to, to, to hear. So instead of me describing what it is, uh, you use it and you tell me what you think it is. Outstanding. I'll go and start setting up my, my random notes today. <laughs> and let me know your matrix uh, servers. And we yep. do have an incentivized testnet coming up, by the way. So, um, so uh, so in, in about two weeks, uh, so if you are someone that likes to operate a node or have aspirations to, to, you know, gain some prosperity in this new, new proof of stake, uh, world, uh, please join our incentivized testnet. And, uh, it's, 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 it's a fun exercise. It's, it's, it's set of four, four set of set of four challenges that walk you through how to set up, how to become a provider and how to start using Akash and how to start validating whatnot. And uh, of course, incentivization means you get tokens. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a fun game. The last challenge we, we had, uh, the founder challenges, uh, people had so much fun. Um, at, at peak, we were the fastest growing decentralized cloud with about 45 or so providers, uh, fully decentralized. And uh, we had about 380 applications running actively uh, deployed on Akash. Right now we have something close to that, but but uh, uh, and a lot of that came through like incentivized adoption programs, so it's just it's a lot of fun. Awesome. So uh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for coming on again. Yeah, great episode. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks so much. This is uh, this was uh, this was fun, Corey. And,